0: be words like this. So very simply, it's cancer. Or it's terminal. Or you're fired. We're broke. You flunked. Or failed. I don't know if they use flunked anymore, but um, I'm leaving. We're done. He's dead. Two little words. With those two little tiny little two word sentences it can seem as if your whole world has just collapsed and there could be many others like those that i mentioned your your life was heading in one direction and then very abruptly and violently sometimes uh there's this everything changes in a very devastating way with just simple simple sentence like that have you been there are you there now? Is this is this what you're facing even today? What do you do when your life just seems to come unraveled, and your whole world just kind of collapses in around you when tragedy invades your life, as it as it has for so many of you, and as it will for all of us? What 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 do you do? We know what David did, and what David did is he wrote a song. He actually wrote several songs, and we're, so we're looking at Psalm three this morning. We'll see Psalm four next. Uh, Sunday, and that there are many other Psalms that he wrote that, that are found in the book of Psalms in this inspired scripture. Uh, and, and so he wrote Psalm 3 when his life and when his, the kingdom, when it, when it seemed to be coming apart at the seams, everything was just crumbling. And so, as you start through the through the Book of Psalms, we I realize we're not working consecutively through them, but we spent uh, the last three Sundays, and now today and next Sunday in the Book of Psalms. And but as you as you, if you are just reading sequentially through the Book of Psalms, you you kind of enter through the double doors of Psalms one and two, and and then immediately though in Psalm three, you are faced with trouble, lots and lots of trouble. And, and it goes on for several psalms. And so right there, again, you see the inscription that's inspired by God there in Psalm 3. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, even if you don't know the setting and you don't know all of the background to what's behind those simple words, and we'll get there in just a moment, just that, let that little inscription sit there for a minute. This David, his, he's fleeing from his son. This isn't hide and seek, they are not playing tag in the backyard. He's fleeing for his life from his son. Feel the anguish of that. And so the context for the song is found in 2 Samuel chapters 15 to 18. And we're not going to be able to spend a lot of time there. I just want to kind of summarize it for you before we get right into the text of Psalm 3 here this morning. So... Here's the context. David has reigned as king over Israel for a couple decades up to by this point. And so he's one of the most powerful kings in all of the world. He's the, he's the God-appointed, God-anointed king of Israel. He he is he he led this mighty army. His military genius was legendary in his time and ever since. He he he, he greatly extended the reach of Israel's domain and their dominion and their borders. He, he became extremely wealthy and enjoyed this life of luxury, at least in that day. He, he had, humanly speaking, authority over life and death of basically everybody he encountered. And so no one dared to get on David's bad side. He was that powerful of a leader. But something happened. Something happened. Sin happened. So David, you know, lusted after Bathsheba, committed adultery with her to cover his tracks. He basically put a hit out on Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And you know the episode of Nathan, the prophet of God. God sends Nathan to, to really just bust David and catch him. And, and David's broken and he repents. In Psalm 51, we see this psalm of confession of his sin. And, and, and yet... yet even though there's this confession of sin, forgiveness, there are his sins, they carry this collateral, collateral damage, as sin so often does. There are all kinds of consequences that, that linger. God doesn't always take away the lingering consequences of our sin instantly, even after we repent of it. The joy of our salvation can be restored. We can know forgiveness of sins and have confidence that our sin is forgiven in Christ. But there are often consequences that remain. And such was the case for David. And so there's this whole series of sad events that unfolded and were set in motion because of David's sin. And this is what you read about in 2 Samuel there. And so one of David's sons, Amnon, he lusted after his half-sister Tamar. And he forced himself sexually on her. Oh, it's tragic. David did nothing. He did nothing. Tamar's brother though, Absalom, did do something. And he took revenge and murdered Amnon. And then Absalom fled into exile for several years. But it was, he was later allowed to return to Jerusalem. And so, but after he came back, David still refused to see his son Absalom for two years and And resentment began brewing and burning within Absalom towards his father, and so he began to curry favor with the, the sort of the disgruntled citizens of of the kingdom, and so he presented himself to the people as this more sympathetic leader than his father David. He really cared for the common man. He was for them. He would listen to them and listen to their concerns. And that's what happened. He he kind of set up shop and he began hearing people's cases and, and really just showing sympathy and care for the common man, unlike his high and mighty dad, King David. And 2 Samuel 15, 6 says, this is what the text says, He stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He stole their hearts away. Eventually, Absalom put together this coup to, to oust David and to take his kingdom. So David saw the writing on the wall, realized that he, was, that, that he had to leave in order to survive, and so he had to get out of Dodge immediately. So he and some of uh, this little group of supporters and their families, they, they hightail it out of Jerusalem. They, they, they grab whatever they can, and they take off into the wilderness. I mean, can you imagine? It's King David. The military warrior, this great, wealthy, powerful king, God-appointed king, and he's running for his life. In 2 Samuel 15, 30, you get this scene, and and the, the, the text is very specific, that David's walking behind everybody else as they're leaving. It says, David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered, and being in shame to add insult to injury there was this man named Shimei who was who was a relative of Saul and so he's still bitter over that and he comes out and he starts taunting David and his supporters as they walk by he curses them he throws rocks at them he's he's accusing David of being a worthless man a man of bloodshed which he was and only god's grace uh Intervened. And so, so David's men, they're ready to cut the head off of this guy who's taunting David. But what does David say? He says, leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So this is, this is, the, this is the situation. I mean, this is a dark, humiliating, utterly devastating scene. I mean everything David had had given his life to suddenly came to nothing as he's fleeing his son leaving his throne even those he thought were his friends and allies they conspired against him they abandoned him turned against him and the most painful part of it all again is the treachery and betrayal of his own son Absalom David loved his son he did. I mean, David, David held him as a baby, no doubt. He watched him grow. He was grieved by Absalom's sin. He was, he was grieved by his own sin that became a stumbling block to his son and kind of set this process in motion. And so when Absalom eventually does die in this crazy circumstance, but David's just undone. He's weeping and he says, this is in 2 Samuel 18.33, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. Would I had died instead of you, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. I mean, that repetition is there it, because that's what he spoke. But it's, it's just showing the depths of the grief of his heart over his son. The love that he has for his son. So this fleeing from Absalom, it brings home to David his failures. Failure as a man, failure as a king, failure as a husband and a father. And so his one son's murdered, one daughter is incestuously raped. Now his murderous son is after his own life and his kingdom. It's a mess. Life's falling apart for David. Everything around him is crumbling, coming undone. Everything's changing. And yet we'll see, this is going to be the hope for this psalm. And so don't get up and leave now that everything seems to be changing, but the most important things have not changed. Who God is and what God has promised. And this is where David turns and where we want to turn today as well. So you you may have not gone through anything quite as life-shattering as what David experienced. That's not the point. But but you've been through excru- excruciatingly painful heartaches and losses. I know you have. You can identify with him in, in some ways. And maybe you're walking through something exceedingly painful right now and but because psalm three it's it's categorized you 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 find the the, the psalms we use categories to kind of uh, divide them into okay this is this type of psalm this is a uh, celebratory praise halal psalm uh, this is a corporate lament psalm but this is categorized as an individual lament psalm that's how the theologians categorize these things and so but but David's would we say that it's not his individual lament is not here just so that we can watch this individual as a casual observer watch him suffer and watch him sorrow and watch him weep and, and just see that from a distance a comfortable distance no it's recorded in scripture in the song book in this prayer book of the bible so that so, so that it can help us worship God together in our suffering and sorrows to worship God in the valley together that's why this is given to us. We enter into David's lament as our own. That's what we're to do here. So, Derek Kidner, he says Psalm 3 is for the ordinary believer who can reflect that his troubles are nothing beside David's, and yet David's expectation, nothing beside his. We'll come back to that. So, yes, God is, David is God, this God appointed king of Israel. You are not. I realize there's a there 's a gap in situation and context from your life and david 's but and, and there is a theological message to the psalm that we we need to see and it 's that the lord 's promise to David stands firm it does no matter what he does god will keep his promises. the promise made to David that was connected to that promise that we saw way back in Genesis chapter three that the seed of the woman will crush the the head of the of, of the serpent, and God will establish His kingdom. God will bless His people, and so David's hope, Israel's hope, our hope. It's not. It's not uh, in David. It's not in his devotion. It's not in. It's not found in looking inside of us or looking uh, anywhere else. It's found in looking to God looking up to him, looking to his unstoppable purposes. And so there's this theological message of saying God's, God's purposes go on, but there's also this worship message in the psalm, this devotional message. And it's that all of God's people throughout every generation, we can own this lament in our trouble. This is why it's given to us. We're supposed to, we're supposed to respond to this psalm and, 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 and take it as our own, take these words as our own. You'll notice in, in Psalms 3 and 4, if you just kind of scan down, I'm not sure how it is in your copy of the scriptures, but in the, the version that I'm using, on the, right, on, the, on the right edges of each of those chapters, you'll see the little words Selah out there in italics probably. And that's part of the the inspired scriptures. And so we don't know exactly what... that word means and what was supposed to happen but let me just give give you uh what what some commentators say about this um but it it, it, one says selah it invites a response from the people gathered for worship whether a vocal response or some other kind of outward bodily action we're not sure but there's it's it's in it's about a response where we pause we respond uh, Charles Spurgeon said, Let let us read the passage which precedes and succeeds it with greater earnestness because of this selah. For surely there is always something excellent where we are required to rest and pause and meditate, or when we are required to lift up our hearts in grateful songs. So it's some some kind of response is called for here. And so we don't know exactly you know, what that was in in its first uh, context but it's it's some kind of thoughtful response to these words and i, I was just kind of curious because it, it is interesting to me that there are so many in these two psalms and so that I, I just doing a little research there are 71 of these say laws in the book of psalms 71 times this word is found 150 psalms in the book of psalms and there are 71 of these say laws and yet five of them are in these two psalms that's An unusually high ratio uh, here. So let me give it to you this way. 2,461 verses in the Psalms. If you're ever playing Bible trivia, just try to file that away. Uh, uh, And so 71 Selah. So that's less than 3% of the verses in the Psalms have a Selah selah, uh, at, at the end of them. There are 16 verses in Psalms 3 and 4 and yet five say laws so that is greater than 31% of the verses in these two psalms have this pause this moment to respond and so i just point that out so that you can make sure you we slow down and respond and think about what it is to respond to this lament and I, 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 what do, and so, what I want us to do as we walk through this psalm is what do, to see what do we do when life seems to be falling apart. How do we how do we respond? What are we supposed to see? And so, let's walk through together. Make four statements as we walk through this psalm together. First statement is is this, and it's right out of verses one and two: is this sometimes, sometimes our worst nightmares come true. Sometimes our worst nightmares come true. And that's what this is for David. I mean sometimes troubles can come upon us like violent flash floods. I mean you've you've probably seen videos on the weather channel uh or uh, watched them on YouTube of of these of these violent flash floods that come out of nowhere. You have this intense torrential rain, and you know, it's in some like mountain village, and the, and the street just becomes this raging river in a in a matter of seconds, like thirty seconds. You see this dry road, and then a trickle of water, and then within just less than a minute, it's you know five feet deep and just destroying, wiping out cars and everything in its path. I mean, that, that that's how it can be sometimes. So fast, so intense, so dangerous, so so life uh, disorienting. Trouble can come into our lives like that. A, a little warning, violent, scary. And so this look at the look at how this psalm opens, verse one. Oh Lord, and again that's that covenant name for God, Yahweh. He says, the, the God who keeps covenant, the God who is, who is abundant in mercies and loving kindness towards the people that he's I, attached himself to. And so, oh Lord, how many though are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And then they see Selah. just think of this davids he's looking up to the Lord. This is a song to the Lord. He's looking to the Lord for help. But when he looks out, all he sees is trouble. Uh, it's, it's just everywhere. Enemies everywhere. There, this, his enemies, there, there are many. That—that that, that, You see that, that repetition of that word, many. How many are my foes? Many rising against me. Many are saying of my soul. There's trouble on all fronts. David always had enemies, but now they just seem to be increasing in number so rapidly. It's like a dam that that leaks just a little constantly, but then all of the sudden something happens and there's this catastrophic failure and it just bursts forth. That's, that's what it is. Dave, David sees, he's, he's used to enemies. He's used to people attacking him and accusing him and, and challenging him. But, but David sees now this, it seems like an instant, this raging torrent that's coming at him, threatening to do him and his followers in. You know, famously the words of uh, Shakespeare in Hamlet. And when sorrows come, they come not single spies, but in battalions. And this is this is true. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? Troubles don't come in little onesies and twosies. They come they come joined as joined forces. Enemies, circumstances, uh, sufferings, difficulties, physical challenges, relational conflict, they, they come in mass. And it just comes upon us. It's not usually just one thing. There may be a main thing, but there's there's it's this and it's that and it's that and it's the other thing. And, and there's just this swarming of trouble that comes into our life. And you've probably experienced that. And this is, this is what David was facing feeling so outnumbered, totally overwhelmed. So that's that's that he's just identifying the situation. Sometimes our worst nightmares come true, and this is this is how it feels. So, so there, our our enemies can be many. Our enemies can also be mean. <laughs> mean. The attacks can be personal. Look at the words that David uses. David's enemies—they're they're rising against him. I mean, that image is of like floodwaters rising, where you just you're just neck trying to keep your head above water. This is this is how it feels. They're vicious. They're overt. They're attacking David personally. I mean, just look at those personal pronouns. My foes. They're rising against me. They're saying of my soul. And so they're, they're attacking the very core of his being, his soul, who he is, the real David. And so in our are suffering, it's, it's it just taken it into our context. So let's say it's something like you're faced with a diagnosis of cancer it's, or, or, or in your family. We don't say something like this. It's, you know... I in our suffering, it's not. I, I found it a painful thing to lose a family member to cancer. No, we don't say that. We say, it's my wife. It's my husband. That's my child. That's my It's my mother, my father, my brother, my sister. It's, it's personal. It feels that way. It is. And this is why when we just keep that in mind as, you're, as we care for one another, as, as you walk alongside brothers and sisters through the sorrows that go, they go through and 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 as you're sitting down with somebody and you're hearing their story, whether you've been through anything like that or not, um, you, you're listening to the cry of their heart. Don't see them as a case study. Like, yeah, I know somebody who's been through that. Here's what you need to do. No, this is this is it's personal. These are real lives facing real trials. Listen to the to the cry of their heart. So so the, so these attacks, they're they're many. They're they can be vicious and personal, they can be mouthy, they can be verbal. Contrary to the little children's rhyme that we grew up saying, it's the words that often hurt the most. It really is. And look at this, was the case for David. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. What, is, what does that say? Not, they don't mean that God cannot help him, like God... God can't save you now. No, they mean God will not help you, David. He's not going to help you. They, they probably have in mind all of David's now very public sin. And so they're saying, you're a hypocrite. How, how can you claim to be God's anointed? Hey, give us a break. You think God's going to help a phony like you, David? That's just what they're saying to David. There's no salvation for you and God. Why would you look to him for help? After all you've done, uh, maybe you've experienced a version of that kind of taunting and that kind of, of assault on your standing before the Lord, and that can be so, so painful. I know brothers and sisters in Christ who've endured this kind of verbal bullying from many times from preachers. Or from other brothers and sisters in Christ. And sometimes it's well-meaning. They're trying to help a brother and sister out. But it, it, it's this vicious, vicious assault. There's no, there's no comfort found in the gospel. It's, but we don't even need human enemies to be attacked in this way. The devil, the, the devil whispers to us like this all the time, doesn't he? You can't possibly think that God loves you after what you've done. You can't call yourself a Christian when you've had thoughts like that. Can't you understand that you're going through what you're going through because God's just ticked at you? Why would, why would God help someone like you? A phony like you? And we sang these words just a moment ago from before the throne when Satan tempts me to despair, tells me of the guilt within, and he does, doesn't he? He's whispering, he's murmuring to our hearts. What do we do? Upward, I look and see Him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. And this is what we speak but This is, this is the, the whisperings, the murmurings, the tauntings, the, 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 the questions, the, the, the verbal assault that we face in our sufferings many times questioning the goodness of God, questioning the love of God, questioning the promises of God, and we've, we've got to look up. So the very God who his enemies say they, they, that he wants nothing to do with David is, is the one to whom David cries. He's not just informing God here, like telling God this is what's happening. He's not, he's not just telling the Lord something that the Lord doesn't already know. No, no he's pouring out his anguish at God's feet. Many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, oh, there's no salvation for you and God. And so he's pouring his, his anguish out at the feet of the God who's not supposed to care about him. And what do we do? When troubles come into our lives like a flash flood, and they will at times, we've got to get into the habit of, of crying out to God, running to Him, clinging to His gracious promises. Individually, brothers and sisters, and also as a church. When we walk through valleys, when we walk through hard things, we cry out to Him. And that's the second movement in this psalm. And so, so one, the first point is uh, there will be times when your worst nightmares come true. What happens? What do we do then? When your worst nightmare comes true, look to God and cry out for help. Look to God and cry out for help. Here's the here's the turning point in the psalm. It's in verse three and four. Here after after those repeated how many how many how many of of verses one and two, David does this grammatical one eighty in verse three. Look at you. So so it's as many many many, and then this but you singular emphatic, but you O Lord. It's very emphatic in the Hebrew here. He's, he's saying this, I'm looking around, I'm looking around, enemies, enemies, enemies rising against me, saying all these awful things against me, but you, but you, oh Lord. He's, he's, he's confessing this to be true, and he's looking outward, he's looking upward. And so we see in, in, in verses 3 to 4, this, this faith and confidence in God. But notice the statements of faith. It's not like, wow, what faith David has. Man, I want to, I want to be like David. That's not, that's not it. The, the statements of faith don't begin with I, but they begin with what? You. It's God word. They begin with God, not Himself, true trust, faith. It's centered on the Lord and who He is. This is what we find most often in Scripture. And so we, we hear a lot of talk about having faith. And we need to have faith when we walk through trials. And we need to have faith for these things. And so we emphasize my faith. And you need to have more faith. And I believe. And we talk about that. But when we struggle with doubts, uh, we, we, we tend to look inside. We, we, our natural instinct is to look inside, to try to draw on inner reserves. We want to believe more. I want to get my faith act together so that God will hear me. But biblical statements of faith, they generally begin with you. You just look to God and say, You, Lord. You. Look at verse 3 again. But you, O oh Lord, you are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hill, Selah. So, so when life seems to be falling apart, when, when trouble is not just kind of knocking at the door, but trouble is like kick the door in on top of you, and you're just struggling to survive under the weight of it, what do you do? You confess who God is. You cling to That confession of who he is and cling to him trust him cry out to him that's what that's what david's doing here lifting your eyes that's not ignoring the real troubling frightening scary painful situation circumstances in your life it's not ignoring them or or you know turning away it's 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 looking above them to god who is also very real and very true and very trustworthy and very present and very faithful. And we look to him in prayer. So what, is, what does David see in God. When he turns to the Lord. The first thing that we notice. Is God is protective. He is protective. You the Lord are a shield about me. I mean, the Lord is David's shield he's his armor he, that's exactly what david needs right now with all of these enemies coming at him you O oh lord are a shield does that mean david doesn't carry around a physical shield anymore or doesn't ever wear armor i doubt it i don't think his trusted men would allow him to walk around uh, without it uh, but but what he means is his ultimate trust is in god his ultimate confidence is god we i know it's been a long time we were in nehemiah a few several years ago now but that that verse in nehemiah chapter 4 verse 9 and we can't go into the context but we prayed to our god they're being attacked and people coming and trying to disrupt the work we we prayed to our god and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night and so there's this it's both and and so to say that our god that god is our shield god is my shield when, when, I, when I lose my job, when the creditors are coming after me, doesn't mean I just sit around and do nothing and just kind of wait. God's my shield. I'll, he's going to protect me. No. I make a budget, stick to it, get counsel, have a yard sale, make phone calls, set up interviews. But my confidence is not in my ability to pull myself together. My confidence is in God. You, you are my protector. You are, you are my shield. And notice how, how David personalizes you. God himself, not not just some uh, concept of God, but you, God, are a shield about me. Just as the the troubles that David faced were very personal and weren't abstract, so is the protection. God, you are are personally a shield around me, about me. It's, It's close, it's intimate, it's real. God Almighty, this covenant God, Yahweh, he personally is guarding David guards his own. Now if David could say that. I know say, "Well, he's the king of Israel. He's anointed by God to be king of Israel. But remember that quote we said at the beginning. As, as much as we can say. Maybe David's troubles were greater than ours. We can also say. Our comforts are greater than his. Because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. God, God is guarding us. We have, we have the spirit of the living God. Living in us. And so we can say. God you, you are a protector. So God is protective. Second thing that he confesses about God is that God is enough. God is enough. He says, you are my glory. Now, oh, how do we get God is enough out of that? But glory, the idea of this word, its um, weightiness has can kind of different meanings and they're all connected. But weightiness or substance even can be referred to as wealth. So it's, it's, this, it's this weightiness, this heaviness. And so David's, this is what he's saying. David's kingdom can be taken from him, but the Lord is his glory. It's not the metallic crown. It's not all of his palaces. David's, David's making this confession. Lord, it's, that's not my glory. You are my glory. You are my sufficiency. You are enough. He, he's losing his, his glory, it seems, to Absalom. Absalom's run him off. Absalom's... Seemingly taking over. But he has all the glory he needs in the Lord himself. That's what he's confessing. The Lord is enough. Whether David is ever restored to the throne. Uh, to a place of earthly prominence by the Lord. It doesn't matter. God is his glory. That's what he's confessing. Is, is the Lord enough? Is he enough for you? Is, is he your weightiness? Is he the substance of your life? Is, is that where you're resting? Is, is he your sufficiency? You see him in that way. And I, I, it's not that you have to make him more important to, your, to yourself or something like that. It's, not, it's, it's just that you have to simply realize what's true about yourself and what's true about God. It's, it's God's grace that enables us to see how utterly dependent we are, utterly weak we are without him, utterly dependent we are upon him, and how all-sufficient God is. And so we can say, God, you are, you are my glory. You are enough. You are, you are my protector, my shield. You are my glory. And then third, he confesses that God is joy restoring. He's joy restoring. He says, you are the lifter of my head. The lifter of my head. That's That lift up the head, it's a Hebrew expression of, of, of restoring someone who's been cast down. We get the idea. It's just lifting, lifting the chin, lifting the head. David was in desperate need of having his head lifted. He's downcast. He's distraught. He's he's a living, breathing picture of utter dejection. Barefoot, weeping, head covered in shame. That's that's where he's at right now. And so here he's saying though, God, you are you are the lifter of my head. Even it's not like it's not like there's this all of his circumstances are are suddenly in fact, no, but you say, even in, even in my dejection, even in my um, uh, being chased by my son, you are the lifter of my head. Now, is restoration of joy instantaneous for the us And when we walk through sorrows? Of course not. It's not that when trouble comes, we have a, a few momentary seconds of weakness and of sorrow and, and fear and anger and self-pity and dejection. And then, oh, all over again. Well, the Lord lifts my head. And so, smile, praise the Lord. Everything's, you know, sunny and, and just great. It's just, it's fantastic. That's not it. It's messier than that. It's better than that. It's, it's, it's relational. God is patient. God is... God is personally caring for us. He's he's the lifter of our heads. He himself is. He cares for us as, but much better than we care for our own children. He's he's, he's patient with us. And so, it's not that lamenting is sin by any means. We shouldn't shouldn't grieve as those without hope, but it's right to grieve loss and trouble. There's a season to, to do that. There's a time to weep. But the Lord is the headlifter for the downcast. And that's, that's a confession we need to make. That's something that we need to say that is true about God. You are, uh, you are the lifter of our heads, God. You protect us. You, 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 uh, you are enough. And you restore our joy. And then the last thing we see that he confesses of God is that God is accessible. Accessible. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. So God's holy hill, this is Mount Zion in Jerusalem. This is where the Ark of the Covenant remained. And so there, there's, uh, we, we find in a previous account that as David's fleeing Jerusalem, Zadok, who was a priest, he, he, he and the Levites, they're carrying the Ark out of the temple. They, they were trying to join David as he's fleeing and is trying to escape. But does David? David sends them back to Jerusalem with the Ark. And he says in 2 Samuel 15, verse 25, 26, he says to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to me. Ah, that's a man whose heart has been humble before God. If the Lord restores him, he's saying, I will worship Him in Jerusalem. But if He doesn't restore me, I will worship the Lord. And I will entrust myself to His holy and, and just will. That's, that's what he's saying. And, he's, and even as in the psalm, even though he's geographically separated from that unique place of God's presence in the temple with the, where the ark rests, and there, he's saying there's no gulf, there's no hindrance to my prayers to God. He hears me. His prayers—they make it to God's holy hill. And and even though he has no physical access there, that's what he's confessing here. God is accessible to us, brothers and sisters. How again? How much more can we say this? This is why we're charged to pray without ceasing he's so accessible we don't have to go to church to be heard by god and it's not just when we pray publicly in a sunday school class or in in the assembly it's it, we don't have to be sitting at the dinner table you don't have to be having this perfect instagram worthy quiet time you know book spread out and and this serene lake out there or up in the mountains of black mountain north carolina or whatever where you like man this is just a magical moment and now god hears me that's not it in the middle of the chaos of life, in the middle of sorrows and troubles, in the middle of moms with kids running all over the place and turning you know, furniture over and it's just madness, we can cry out to God and know that He hears us. God, you, you, are, you are accessible. You hear. You answer from Your holy hill. We don't have to have our act together to be heard. God isn't waiting to hear us until we make ourselves more presentable to Him, more Worthy of being heard? Oh, in our distress, we cry out to Him and He hears. What, what mercy. What mercy. Do you think we could ever make ourselves presentable enough to, if it was really up to us, to, 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 to get God to listen to us? Do you think we could ever make ourselves worthy of getting a hearing with God in and of ourselves? No, it's, it's Christ. We know this and we have Hebrews to tell us this. That we have this great high priest who's interceding for us and has opened up access. Now we have confidence to enter the throne of grace, come before the throne of grace, knowing that God hears us. What, what mercy. But sometimes, I know, God, God can seem distant. He can seem far off. And, and, and if, if all we're, again, if we're, if we're looking in ourselves and we're just trying to assess our feelings, man, God just seems far, God seems distant, we can, we can wallow there and we can, we can really get tripped up there. But, but He is not, brothers and sisters, we have to confess what's true. Because we're clothed in Christ's righteousness, because we have the Spirit living in us, He invites us to seek, to knock, to ask, and He hears, and He answers. That we, we we confess, God, you you hear, you know, you you listen, you answer, you're near. So we need this we need this God centered gaze when 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 uh, to keep us steady when the world seems to be falling apart around us when everything's kind of crumbling in on us. We we look to Him, we confess what's true about God in prayer, and then third third movement, verses five and six, when your worst nightmare comes true sleep peacefully in God's shelter. I know that sounds like a contradiction. When your worst nightmare comes true, sleep peacefully in God's shelter. Psalm 3, there's a reason I'm taking Psalm 3 and 4 together, and it's not just because they're in sequential order, but there's, there's a connection here. They both deal with sleep. Uh, we'll talk more about this next week. And. Uh, do you struggle with sleep? I mean, some of you do physiologically as you're getting older, maybe, or you have insomnia or something like that. And I'm not trying to diagnose sleep issues like that. Um, uh, but if, if, but, but we, I think most of us probably, we, there are times either in the morning or at night when we struggle with fear, worry, anger. We, our, our mind gets racing. Maybe in the middle of the night, maybe in the mornings, maybe we're trying to go to bed. Anyway, both of these psalms help us here. Psalm 3 is called a morning psalm because of verse 5. Psalm 4 is called an evening psalm. Look at verse 5. I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. And so there's another grammatical movement in this psalm. Uh, that the little, word, the little pronoun, I, is emphatic here. It's like, as far as I am concerned, that's, that's kind of how he's saying. So the symphatic I, it comes right after that emphatic you of verse 3. Is it because, because you are, Lord, who you are, I myself can put my head on my pillow and sleep well. Or in David's case, probably on a rock or on the dirt or something as he's running and probably sleeping in a cave or something. So, so David cried out to the Lord for help and he went to bed. Woke up. The Lord sustained him. He's not sleeping in a comfy palace anymore. He's not he's he's camped out in the wilderness. He's on the run, afraid for his life, and yet he's able to sleep through the night. So we can just listen, we can we can lay down, we can sleep, we can wake up. Why? Because God never does any of those things. He he never does. He sustains us even as we're sleeping. It's a great truth to remind ourselves of. When we're having trouble sleeping. Lord you, you don't sleep. You don't lay down. You don't, you don't uh, sleep. You don't wake up. You sustain us. Remember Peter. Uh, the night that uh, before he was supposed to be executed. He's in jail. He's supposed to be uh, killed for his preaching the gospel. But in, in Acts chapter 12. He's so, he's so soundly asleep between these two prison guards, that this angel that's sent to rescue him has to has to hit him to wake him up. The, the, Acts 12, 7, he struck Peter on the side. He's sleeping. Like, how, I, how in the world? But some of you, some of you, some of you lose a lot of sleep. Or you can't fall asleep. Because of inner turmoil or of troubles that you're, you're going through. And I'm, I, I, this is naturally human, so I'm, this is not an insult. Or, I mean, but this is, this is part of, part of our humanity. <laughs> Remember, and it's, not, it's not just fear. I mean, David's turmoil, it's fear, but it's also anger, it's bitterness, it's envy, it's regret, it's grief, it's guilt, it's shame. It's this whole mix of things that he's facing here, and this dejection. What, what is it that keeps you up, tossing and turning at night? What what, what do you do when that happens? Where do you turn when when you can't go to sleep? We're going to talk more about that next week, so come back. For others, like myself, I can go to sleep just fine. But then I wake up early in the morning, and my mind just starts racing. I'm not careful. I wake up, and I look out, and I see tens of thousands of enemies outside my cave and I start to panic. This is my this is my temptation. This is a real struggle. David awoke, but here we get this picture. David awoke safe and sound and full of faith. Why? Because the Lord sustained him. And this is this is a great this is a great reminder to me. God God I I I wake I, I go to bed, I sleep, I wake up and Lord it's it's your grace your grace we can we can do this and so david slept well he wakes up and he says i will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around that's not chest pounding bows this is god i can't even wake myself up but you you can sustain me through the night that's why i'm not afraid it's because of you so when god is our shield when god is the one who sustains us. Odds, numbers, statistics, they don't matter as much to us anymore. I mean, they're greatly outnumbered. It does not look good, humanly speaking, for David. But, but, but that's not what David is trusting in. Numbers. I mean, it's not, it's not probably physical enemies that are, you're concerned about attacking you in the morning or at night. That's not what it is. But, but it is easy to, to think, like numbers, statistics, I'm outnumbered. One, one, someone has said, one plus God is a majority. That's a kind of a clever way of saying what Paul says way better. Um, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans eight thirty one. He goes on, if we, even if we are like sheep headed for the slaughter and all things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Even if our enemies kill us, we can have God's peace in our souls. That's what he's saying. Can be serene. And I don't mean in some kind of mystical way, you know, with incense burning, but we can, we can be serene peace, at peace with God even when we're surrounded by troubles. Fourth and final movement, and then we're done. Verses 7 and 8. The statement is this: when your, when your worst nightmare comes true, expect God to rescue you. Expect Him to rescue you. Look at this. Plea, this, um, this request of God, is urgent appeal. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. And then again, Selah. In verse 1, we saw again, many were rising up against David. Now he uses that very same verb to ask God to rise up against his enemies. There's a, there's a, we're meant to see that connection. In verse 2, another like this. In verse 2, David's attacker said that God would not save, deliver him. There's no salvation in God for you. He's saying, God's not going to save you. Here, David uses the same verb and he appeals to God and says, save, O Lord. He's turning his words, those words that were spoken and taught to him, to God in this appeal. So David has peace. We saw this in verses 5 and 6. But Absalom and his company, they're still on the loose. They're still threatening. They're still coming after him. And, and they're still wanting to spill David's blood. They're still wanting to take his kingdom. But David is certain of God's ultimate deliverance. whether Whatever happens physically. And so... Now you get to verse the second part of verse seven, it, it, I know this is a, kind of trips some of us up it sounds, we get a little problem here a little we choke on this so some some get upset when we come to parts of psalms like this, and so you think for example psalm one thirty nine what well, we know psalm one thirty nine this is This is the psalm we we speak of, parent-child dedications, which we have one of those next week, and and of babies being born, and, and God knitting the child together in the mother's womb. And so there's, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. That's so beautiful. And then right after that, oh, that you would slay the wicked. I hate those who hate you with a complete hatred. And then he ends, search me, O God, know my heart. I confess when I'm at a hospital visiting a new mom or dad, I tend to skip that part too. Um, but, but So we, we get to these places in the Psalms with these imprecations and, and God slay the wicked, break their teeth. And this is the violent imagery of verse 7 here of Psalm 3. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, break the teeth of the wicked. He's begging God for his enemies to need major dental work. <laughs> break their teeth. Now, again, what, are we, what, are we, what is going on here? Why does David sound so vengeful? Here he is trusting himself to God. God, you're my shield, my protector. I trust you. I'm confident in you and your salvation. And then he's speaking that God would break their teeth and strike them on their cheek. Just a couple comments. One, this isn't about vengeance, human vengeance. David is committing vengeance to God and asking God for deliverance. That's one. Secondly, if David is going to be delivered or saved in this situation, then God will have to bring down those who oppose David and who's God's chosen king. So there's there's no safety for David unless his enemies are dealt with. For David's salvation, his enemies have to be destroyed. That's just the reality. Uh, One commentator, Dale Ralph Davis, he says, Biblically, salvation can be a nasty piece of work. (laughs) That's a clever way of saying it. I mean, if you want to exhibit A of that, it's the cross, right? I mean, this is violence against the Son of God for our salvation. But you you see this in Revelation 6. You see this not just in the Old Testament the Psalms, but you have these prayers of the martyrs. And, And what is it? If God's servants are ever going to be vindicated... Those who crush them must be judged and avenged. And so it's uh, it's it's heavy, I know, but this is this is this is not uh, David's got this vengeful anger. That's not the point. This is God's He's saying, God, you've got to save, you gotta act, and that's going to involve them being destroyed. And then there's this final exclamation Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. David's not depending ultimately on his troops. And their uh, strength and and vigor. He's not depending on his spies that he's planted to mislead Absalom. He's not depending upon military strategies or strategists. Uh, Any deliverance that would come would be from God. Salvation is from the Lord. We we, we must, brothers and sisters, must cast ourselves upon the Lord who cares for us. Cast ourselves upon God alone for help. And so that he gets all the praise when he answers prayer when He delivers us. Our help ultimately always comes from the Lord, not from our clever plans, not from courageous people. It's, it's from God. And then there's this final request, your blessing be upon your people. That's there. That's our greatest need, is God's blessing, His favor. God to graciously bless us. I want to end where we began. And I read a quote from Derek Kidner The Psalm three is is for the ordinary believer who can reflect that his troubles are nothing beside David's, and David's expectation nothing beside his. So while our troubles may be nothing compared to David's, again this is what he's saying: David's expectation of help from the Lord is nothing compared to ours. We we live on this side of the cross and the empty tomb. We we have much more revelation from God. We have many more promises from God. We have God's Spirit again living inside of us, a seal on our hearts until that final eschatological day of salvation. We have these assurances, so we have all the more reason to to sleep well when life is hard. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the the hope and confidence we have. David, as he wrote Psalm 3, he's in a dark, dark, dark valley as he writes these words. You know, David's, Scripture calls him David's greater son. The greater David's greater son. Jesus went through an even darker valley. As he hung on the cross, he also had enemies taunting him. See this in Matthew 27. They're saying to him, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. You see that? There's no salvation for God in him. If he delights in him, if he even delights in him, for he said, I am the son of God. So like, why would God take notice or care about this criminal hanging naked on a cross? And even worse, as he bore our sins, Jesus felt the forsakenness of his father. And so he heard that we, we, we hear this in this cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's, he's walking through this dark. Dark valley. There's a big difference though between David and Jesus. David is suffering in part because of his own sins, because he is a sinner. I don't I mean there's this direct correlation between everything he's going through and his sin, but Jesus is without any sin or any guilt. He's suffering only for our sins. He was accomplishing for us what we could not do for ourselves our salvation. So, we, when we get to get to the New Testament, we say salvation is of the Lord. Oh, it's imported with incredible meaning. And this is Psalm 3 just pointing forward to, to that work of Jesus. Thank God, brothers and sisters, for saving you. If there's nothing else, that way, no other way we respond, but just praise God that, that He alone can save you from your sins, and He, and he has for, for all of those who are trusting in Jesus today. But then we we see this we see this in in Romans chapter eight through through chapter eleven really it's this glorious unfolding of God's unstoppable purposes in salvation and it ends with this great doxology in Romans eleven thirty six for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever amen salvation is of the Lord brothers and sisters and even even when we walk through even when we face our worst nightmare in this life even when we when we have trouble sleeping because life is so hard we have this bedrock confidence that that in, that we are we are good with God in Christ which we were reminded this morning in our singing let's pray together Father would you drill down deep into our hearts and our minds and the, the core of our beings and our souls, Father, this great, glorious truth that salvation is of You, that uh, our confidence is not in us and our merit; it's in, it's in Christ and what's been accomplished for us. And so, direct our gaze to Jesus, even as we continue to sing this morning, and and um, and give us uh, a, a greater grasp of the sufficiency of the grace that is ours in, in Him. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen.